I'm sure you've heard that 80s song. Everybody's working for the weekend. Yeah. Feeling it? I, yeah, there are that I don't know. I typically don't know words to songs, so I pretend as if I do. Uh, yeah. You remember the song, by the way, Rome If You Want To. I might have shared this before. In my little brain at the time, it was Rome 51 to, and I would just scream that out. I think I had, I had tubes in my ears multiple times, so I think that probably didn't help. So the, the band that sang this song, by the way, Loverboy, you should go watch the video. The music video, it's amazing. I almost showed it to you. The drummer, like every time there's a cymbal crash, the video stops and he's like, every time. He's jamming. That's how it goes. You got to check it out. It'll make your day. Everybody's going to be singing. Everybody's working for the weekend at the block party because it's a catchy tune, right? You're not going to be able to get it out of your head. It's not only catchy, but it's often and it's probably predominantly true, right? Work has become a necessary evil for many. Would you agree? In fact, the research organization Gallup reports that 70% of Americans are just punching in and punching out of their jobs or dislike their work so much that they're actually working against their company's mission. It's crazy. I wonder where you're at in terms of satisfaction with work. And if you're retired, this sermon still will pertain to you, so you're not off the hook. But for those of you that are working, how do you view your work? Would you say that on most days, let's, let's, let's see, we'll do our own little research study. By a raise of hands, would you say, and here, here are the options, so you can think ahead here before you make your selection. Would you say that on most days you view your job as something you really enjoy? Something that pays the bills, something you dread, something you really enjoy, something that pays the bills, something you dread. So for those of you who really enjoy your job on most days, raise your hand. Let's just see. That's pretty good. How many of you feel like you should say that and so you're saying that? <laughs> I love honesty. Well, that's kind of not honesty, actually. You raised, yeah. How may, for how many of you that are working, it's, it's a job that, that pays the bills? How many of you just like are dreading tomorrow morning? Like it's just the last thing you want to do. Raise your hand. Phew. Well, good news. We've, 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 we're rebelling against the trend here at Abundant Life. That's a good thing. And we'll talk about it. I think faith has a lot to do with how you enjoy work or whether or not you do enjoy it. And we're going to be talking about that. So my hope is that for those of you who really on most days enjoy working, you're going to enjoy it even more and you're going to excel in it even more. And for those of you who, you know, it's just something to pay the bills or you're dreading it, I am praying that that might start to change for you. And so 
work? Does it matter? Is it just a necessary evil? Is there a way to actually enjoy it? Does God have anything to say about work? These are the questions we're going to seek to answer in this sermon series. So this morning, let's pray, and then we're going to be looking at part of what Jerry read earlier, and then we'll also be looking at the first three verses in Genesis 2. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are and how you love us. Thank you for your son Jesus that lived that perfect life that we were supposed to live but couldn't. And who in our place died the death that we deserve. So that through faith in him we can be reconciled to you. We are so grateful for that gift. Lord, you have created us, created us in marvelous, wonderful ways that we're going to explore this morning. And Lord, as we think about an activity that we spend, some say, a third of our life in, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to understand how you view work, and that we would be able to get on board with that. And then that would enable us to be faithful to you in that arena of our life that we spend so much time at. Lord, we love you. Thank you that your Holy Spirit has the power to teach us, to challenge us, convict us. We need it. We are lost without you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Let, let me uh, read Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Um, yeah, let me read it. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was not just good, but very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And let's continue on. If we turn to Genesis 2, which is, we've come to the end of Genesis 1, so here we go. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is what we're focusing on. This is where we're headed. From this passage I want to emphasize this. God is a worker. He made you to work. Work is worship. And you will see, as we look at the third point, 
that really this is just a continuation of our sermon series, True Worship. You'll discover that. Number one, God is a worker. Notice how Genesis 2 starts out, right? It mentions, mentions work in, this, in these three verses. It mentions God working three different times. This passage is describing God as a worker. I don't know about you, but I, it really, until I really started studying this, I didn't really view God as a worker. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if it was just this idea in my mind that work was somehow below and beneath God, but I just really didn't view him that way. Do you view God as a worker? God works. He labors. In Genesis chapter 1, the passage that Jerry read to us, we see God just with his word, working through his word to create this universe. It's just such a remarkable. I was reading this. And for some reason, I wanted to listen to Mozart. I don't know if I wanted to feel more cultured or, you know, more intelligent. For whatever reason, I put it on when I was studying and I was reading Genesis 1. And I don't even know what piece this, this piece was by, by Mozart. But it was coming to this crescendo and I'm reading through these verses. And it was just amazingly powerful. Um. Anybody read C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia? Anybody read through? So Elijah, we're, Elijah and I, we're, we've started at uh, The Magician's Nephew, the first book, right? And we're reading through it. we got one chapter left. Hope to get it done today. We're pretty pumped up. But if you read that and then you read and you think about Aslan creating Narnia, and when we just had read that not too long ago, it's just, it's, this is just, we can read it like Jerry read this morning and kind of just be thinking about our day and just not really thinking about this is amazing, amazing stuff. You know, on, uh, <laughs> we see God in chapter 1, he's cre- he creates the realms, right, the different realms of heaven and sky and waters and earth. And then on days four, five, and six, we see God, he's filling, filling these different realms with his inhabitants. So you have in the heavens, you have the sun and the moon and the stars. He creates them to inhabit the heavens. You see God creating birds to inhabit the sky and then fish to inhabit the sea and then animals and humans to inhabit the earth. God is a worker. Now... We've established God as a worker. Does God work begrudgingly? Does he have a perpetual case of the Mondays? No. Genesis 1 shows God delighting in working, just loving it. And that's why Genesis 1, if you, know, if you saw that as Jerry was reading it, it repeatedly says, and God saw it and it was good. God saw that it was good. And you can just imagine him creating the sun and standing back and just being like, ooh, I like that. Let's continue on, right? And then he makes the moon. Ooh, that that is good. And you can just see as you read through this passage, God working for the sheer delight of it. Genesis 1 and 2 depict God as an artist. They depict God as... A gardener as he plants the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2.8. It predicts him 
or not predicts, it depicts him as a manual laborer as he takes the dust of the earth and makes man with his hands. God is a worker. Work is as old as the world. And not only did God work to create the world, he works to care for it and sustain it. And that's what theologians call providence. Check this out. Psalm 104, verses 10 through 15, talks about how God is still working. God is continuously working to sustain and provide and care for his creation. Psalm 104, 10 says, he sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them, the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. God is a worker. He joyfully created this world, and he joyfully sustains and cares for this world. That's point one. Point number two, you were created to work. Here's the thing. While everything that God has created in some way reflects the glory of God, but humans are the only living thing that was made in God's image. That means we are more like God than any other part of creation. In one major, major, major way that we reflect God's image into the world is through our work. And we, unlike plants and animals, were given a specific job description. There's a Bible scholar by the name of Derek Kidner. He noticed that this distinction between plants and animals and then humans in the creation account. He, he points out that only man is set apart and given a, a job description. Plants and animals are called to reproduce, but only humans are actually given a specific job. And look at how closely our job resembles God's work. How does God, how did God work in the creation or in Genesis 1 and 2? He worked by creating the world and then by filling it with inhabitants. He worked by subduing creation, by bringing order to it. He worked by having dominion over creation, which means he ruled over it. And we as humans, we are created to do the very same things, the very same things that we see God doing in the first two chapters of Genesis. Check out our job description in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply 
Check this out. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and every and over every living thing that moves on earth. We, our job responsibilities on our job description are to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to have dominion over it, or to rule over it, right? So let's look at each one of these. First, humans are to fill the earth. I've already mentioned that God filled the heavens with the sun, the moon, and the stars. He filled the sky with the birds. He filled the sea with fish. He filled earth with plants and animals and us humans. And then what God does is he says to Adam and Eve, I want you to continue on where I left off. I want you to fill the earth with more human beings, and not just human beings, but most scholars that are, the scholars I read said, this is beyond just, you know, reproduction. God, God wants the world to be filled with human communities and societies and towns of people and cities of people. Second, so that's the filling of the earth, we are to subdue the earth. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then the Bible goes on to say how God exerted his will to bring shape and order to what was formless. And we, made in God's image, we are to do the very same thing. We are to exert our will over creation to leverage it and use it to benefit us. The ESV Study Bible says that the term subdue means to bring a people or a land into subjection so that it will yield service to the one submitting or subduing it. Here the idea is that the man and woman are to make the earth's resources beneficial for themselves, which implies that they would investigate and develop the earth's resources to make them useful for human beings generally. This command provides a foundation for wise scientific and technological development. As humans, we are too, under the leadership of God, we are to develop the, the earth's rich potential. And we are to bring more and more order to it. We are to take, you know, we are, we are, going, we are to start where God left off. And we are to bring order to, more and more order to the world for the benefit of the human race. Third, so that's the filling it, and that's the subduing it. Thirdly, the third part of our job description, or third responsibility on it, is that humans are called to have dominion over the earth. Some translations say rule over the earth. I think that's easier for us to understand. Dominion isn't a word that we use too often. Now, we need to think about how does God rule the earth? Does he rule it in such a way where he just abuses it and just doesn't take care of it? No, God rules over the earth by caring 
for it, by protecting it. Um, at the end of Genesis 1, we see God, you know, making food for the animals and for uh, the human beings, for Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2.6, we learn about God causing a mist, a mist to come up from the ground to water the face of the earth. He's caring for creation, right? We as humans, we are to rule over the created order in such a way that we care for and we protect it. Which means we not only leverage it to benefit human beings, but we do so in a way that is a caring sort of way. You know, a good ruler... It has subjects, right, that, that are underneath him. But a good ruler isn't there just to have his subjects serve him. He's there also to serve his subjects. This is the way we are to rule over creation. Probably a better word to describe us ruling over creation is to think in terms of, of stewardship. We're not to be these tyrants that exploit the earth and and just abuse it, but we are to care for it, protect it, use it to, to develop things that will bless humanity. And as we fill and subdue, and as we rule in this sort of way, we reflect God's image and glory, who did those things and still does those things through us. And here's something else that's interesting. We are uniquely wired for this. God has created us in such a way that we are uniquely gifted to be these stewards of the earth by feeling, subduing, and ruling over it. Think about our intellectual ability, for example, which is far superior to any other animal, right? Your, your spouse may not always think that about you, but it's true. We can design things and we can then make them. We can compose glorious music, paint pictures, write and do mathematics. We can control and use energy for our own benefit. We can organize, reason, make decisions. We can think abstractly. We are uniquely designed to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to rule over it. You see, your work is so essential to your humanity. Work is so essential to what it means to be human. Work is actually what we're supposed to spend the most of our time doing. And that's why God, he worked for six days and only rested one. Like, we are to be working. We are to follow his example. Work is not a necessary evil. Work is good. It was a part of God's very good creation before the fall, before sin entered into the world. It's one of the main things you were created for. It's one of the main ways that you reflect the glory of God. And it's one of the main ways that God carries on his work in the world is through your work. He has decided to continue filling and subduing and ruling over the world through your work. It's remarkable. What a privilege. 
You know, the reason I think that so many people struggle with unemployment and retirement is because they are ignoring God's design for human flourishing, which includes work. If the unemployed person doesn't find work little by little, that person becomes more and more depressed. I've seen it. I've talked to people in this situation. I think that a lot of retired people, that they are struggling with retirement because they viewed work as a necessary evil their entire career. And they had this view that retirement was the good life, right? And work was just a necessary evil to get you to a place of retirement. And then your golden years could start. And then you would be truly happy. And then I, I feel like many get to retirement and they find that they're just as empty and dissatisfied and discontent as they were when they were working. Because they've had this faulty view of work. And they wonder, what's wrong with me? Well, nothing's wrong. You just need to keep working in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't mean you have to get paid to work. But if you don't work in some way and contribute to the filling and subduing and the ruling of this world under God's leadership... You're, you're bucking against the very reality that God has established. And that never works. It just doesn't. Finally, God is a worker. You have been made to work. Work can be worship and should be worship. I think we have a tendency to think, like if you really, full-time ministry jobs are the jobs that really please God. Like, if you really want to do the Lord's work, you need to work for a church or you need to work for a nonprofit organization like CCHO or the Pregnancy Support Center. Like, that's God's work right there. That's spiritual work. Secular work, such as banking or education or healthcare or law or entertainment or information technology, and we could go on and on, is secular. Therefore, it, these, these jobs have no religious basis. These aren't spiritual, but nothing could be further from the truth. Secular work is God's work. Secular work is God's work. Check this out. This is so important. All work done for the glory of God that helps fill the world with flourishing human societies, subdues the earth by utilizing the earth's resources for the common good, or cares for and protects God's creation is spiritual, holy, full-time ministerial work. It matters to God. And done in that way, it's actually a form of worship. You see, this is just a, a continuation of our true worship sermon series. We have school teachers here today, right? As a school teacher, do you help humans flourish? Do you help students understand their world and equip them so that they can one day work for the common good? Sure you do. 
don't you see this work is deeply spiritual? Don't you see this work is deeply holy? Done with an intent to please God and reflect his image? Your job is a form of worship. You, you, are wor- you have the opportunity to be worshiping all day at work. Let's say you're a janitor at a company that makes parts for airplanes. I don't know why my brain, I don't know why my brain thought of that, but let's use it. And what you do is you simply keep things clean and you make sure that things are in order at this place so that the workers have a, an environment that's conducive to making airplane parts. Oh, Are you working to bring order? Are you working to subdue the creation? Are you working in in helping others flourish? Yes, this work is holy work. It reflects the image of God. Let's say you're, you're a cook in a restaurant. Your work is to be used by God to give them, give people their daily bread. That's holy work, right? Take the farmer. He cares for God's creation. He leverages it to produce food for people and for animals. Done well and for the glory of God, that is worship. The pastor's work is no more important than the farmer's work. You take the farmer away, we have nothing to eat and we all die. How is that more important than the pastor's work, right? We could go on with examples. Rick Lutz, my man, custom cabinetry business. He's building a new building. And uh, he, in a board meeting, said, I should say on it, like on this building, King Jesus. And it would be a reminder to him, whether he puts it on there or not, that when he comes and he builds Cabinetry, he is bringing order and shape to God's creation, and he is doing it to reflect God's image and to serve his customers. Don't you see work is one of the main ways that we love our neighbor as ourselves? All work done well and for God's glory is Christian, and it's our main form of worship If we don't make this connection, we are never going to be deeply satisfied in our work. We just won't. God is a worker. You were created to work. Work is worship. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, are just thankful. I know I'm thankful. That of all, out of all creation, we're the only ones made in your image. And a major part of that, being made in, in, in your image, is that you have given us the skills and the abilities to rule on your behalf. And one of the main ways we do that is through work. One of the main ways we worship you is through our work. One of the main ways that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves is through work. 
Lord, I pray that for every person that's here this morning that is working, that they would not see their job as really not mattering. That they could have such a view of their work that it would transform their attitude and that it would lead them to excellence in their work and it would lead them to really love and serve the people that they are serving. So we pray for that. And for those that are retired, TV, congregation, Lord, I pray that uh, their retirement plan is not to sit and watch TV until they die. Like, unfortunately, many retired people tend to do. Lord, but they would really come before you and consider how you want to utilize them in their retirement years to continue serving people through the gifts and abilities that you have given them. That you would reveal to them how they need to continue to subdue the earth and rule over it for your glory. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this sermon series. May you just totally change in a positive way our view on work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.